0: Welcome to the Nigel Lee Archive, brought to you by Living Leadership, where every fortnight we share with you a sermon from the late Nigel Lee to encourage you in your walk with the Lord. Here's today's message. Thank you, David. It's the first time we've ever sung a song for badness. <laughs> That's as Irish as we're going to allow this church ever to go, I think. <laughs> I was asked to speak um, on growing old in a young church. This is a poem written in old age. I get up each morning, dust off my wits, pick up the paper and read the obits. If my name is missing, I know I'm not dead. So I eat a good breakfast and go back to bed. Growing old has been a source of of humour Uh, on television and in literature, I suppose, um, for centuries. You know you're old when, they say, you sit in a rocking chair and can't get it started. (laughs) You know you're old when you sink your teeth into a juicy steak and they stay there. (laughs) You know you're old when your mind makes commitments that your body can't keep. That gets very close to some of us. And then from an American magazine, you know you're old when you watch a pretty girl go by and your pacemaker makes the garage door open. (laughs) (laughs) But growing old has has also been, I think, a great source of pain and and cynicism um, to many. Victor Hugo, the French novelist, said, The misery of a child is interesting to a mother. The misery of a young man is interesting to a young woman. The misery of an old man is interesting to nobody. Charles de Gaulle described old age as a shipwreck. And if you look through something like the Oxford Dictionary of Quotations, there are masses of things like that, where you can feel people's pain and cynicism as they think about old age. Old age can sometimes be horrible. A long, slow, rather frightening journey into loneliness and pain and grief. How many of us were not touched by the Queen only a couple of weeks ago? Speaking at that occasion in London, with her voice croaking with a a throat infection, with the marriages of her three married children all now in ruins, her favourite home damaged by fire, speaking of what an anus horribilis this has been for her. As the years gather, I'm sure many of us were were made sad by the sight of that very unhappy lady. First thing to say is that aging is inevitable for all of us. It's not a choice. It's it's unavoidable. If we stay alive, we will get older and become eventually um, really quite old. And British society is getting older. Progressively, on average, it's uh, by 1991, there are something like 750,000 people in Britain who are over the age of 85, and therefore churches have a tendency um, at the moment, on average, to become older in their average age. And I've never heard this subject preached on, ever, on growing old, um, perhaps in a A young church, apart from when people take up the subject of that Bible character, Caleb. And frankly, there are times in my life when I find Caleb totally exhausting just to think about. Caleb was the man who, you know, at 85, was ready to run around like a teenager. And at the end of a long uh, term of work, I've decided not to have anything to do with Caleb until at least after Christmas. This is a a poem by a Christian poet called Growing Older. Father, I haven't come to terms with growing old. My heart, my thoughts, my loving, and my dreams are just the same as when I stood and looked with eyes newly mature at the long vista of the coming years. I haven't changed, and yet my body has. Sometimes it aches with tiredness, and the clothes I love to wear don't suit me anymore. The mirror shows me lines around my face that make will not hide. Lord, help me not to fight with growing old, resent it, hate myself. Give me a brave and joyful spirit. Go along with me through every fresh new day with your glad company. Give me the strength for all you'd have me do, sufficient just for that. And may the lines upon my face Be lines of laughter and of deep concern for others' sadnesses, not lines of anger or self-pity, nor of bleak anxiety. Make me a strength within my family, among my friends, a quiet source of your encouragement, because you care for me. You see how... um, the poet starts by resenting what's happening. It's rather like I remember Luis Palau standing and saying how he looked in the mirror one morning and he, he said, What on earth is a person as young as you doing in a body as old as that? And, and that's, that was the early feeling at the beginning of the poem, and then um, it turns into prayer and trust and wisdom. Let's begin to see what the Bible says because aging. Uh, is not the problem in the Scriptures. It's our attitude to it. And I'm going to ask Don to come up and read um, from the Psalms. Um, Come, Don, to the mic here, and read from Psalm uh, 71. You may turn to it if you like. In the Good News version of the Bible, this psalm is called an old man's
1: prayer. Psalm 71. In you, O Lord, I have taken refuge. Never, let me never be put to shame. Rescue me and deliver me in your righteousness. Turn your ear to me and save me. Be my rock of refuge to to which I can always go. Give the command to save me, for you are my rock and my fortress. Deliver me, O my God, from the hand of the wicked, from the grasp of evil and cruel men. For you have been been my hope, O Sovereign Lord, my confidence since my youth. From my birth I have relied on you. You brought me forth from my mother's womb. I will ever praise you. I, I have become like a portent to many, but you are my strong refuge. My mouth is filled with your praise, declaring your splendor all day long. Do not cast me away when I am old. Do not forsake me when my strength is gone. For my enemies speak against me. Those who wait to kill me conspire together. They say, God has forsaken him. Pursue him and seize him, for no one will rescue him. Be not far from me, O God. Come quickly, O my God, to help me. May my accusers perish in shame. May those who want to harm me be covered with scorn and disgrace. But as for me, I shall always have hope. I will praise you more and more. My mouth will tell of your righteousness, of your salvation, all day long, although I know not its measure. I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O Sovereign Lord. I will proclaim your righteousness, yours alone. Since my youth, O God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvellous deeds. Even when I am old and grey, do not forsake me, O God, till I declare your power to the next generation, your might to all who are to come. Thank you very much, Tom.
0: We're going to read that psalm and um, another scripture, and I'd like to draw out um, five principles in the time that we've got together. And the first is this. Trust in the Lord whatever comes. Did you do notice the psalmist's uh, confidence going right back, his experience of the presence of God going right back as far as he remembers? In verse 5, he, he says there that uh, you've been my hope, my confidence since my youth. And then he takes it in verse 6 even further back, even beyond the point that he can remember. Even back to my birth, I have relied upon you. God has always been faithful all the time. Modern society tends to be often quite cruel, I think, to the elderly. We dump cars when they rust out. We get rid of clothes when they're no longer fashionable or uh, feel comfortable. And increasingly we dump the elderly in modern British society. Actually, in America, there has come to be reported recently, the actual practice of what is cruelly known as granny dumping where people are driven up to the door of an old people's home, bundled out, and the car drives off. Relatives just abandon. And many, as the years go by, can become more and more afraid of being mugged on the street in our society, or burgled, of not making ends meet, as uh, pensions seem to get less and costs rise of ill health coming and so on and a number of fears can creep up on you almost uh, you're not aware but they they gradually get closer and closer until you find that that you're being plagued by some of these kind of feelings number one i'm useless this is particularly felt by people who perhaps been in the mainstream of things maybe in a church or in a company or society or with family or whatever and folk can get to feel, I've got nothing to contribute any more than anybody seems to want. I'm useless. A second feeling, I feel guilty. I look back over my life now, I've got longer to brood, and I look back over opportunities wasted or, or relationships destroyed, maybe particularly within my own family. How many carry feelings of guilt? at having perhaps mistreated children, brought them up in a way that they now regret, said things that have brought division and hurt. And folk can feel those kind of things, or, or self-pity. Nobody really appreciates me or cares for me anymore. I'm on the shelf. And I want to say I don't believe that those feelings are in any way from God. I do not believe they have their source in the Holy Spirit. Look at the way the psalmist speaks. You have been my hope, O Sovereign Lord, in verse 5. My confidence. In verse 9, don't cast me away when I'm old. Don't forsake me, Lord. Verse 14, as for me, I shall always have hope. I will praise you more and more. Verse 17, since my youth, O God, you've taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. In other words i'm going to put my trust in you however decrepit i might feel i'm going to look to you to continue to use me be close to me be as faithful to me as you have always been trust in the lord therefore because he does not change in isaiah chapter 46 verse 4 here's a promise Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he, says the Lord. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will sustain you. I will rescue you. I am he. Trust in the Lord. That's the first principle. The second lesson, also from the psalm that Don read to us, is take responsibility for teaching the next generation. In verse 18, although the psalmist senses that his strength is failing, his hair gray, he has a long memory of the goodness of God, the promises of God, and the power of God. And these memories and these principles must not be locked away in the sense somehow that nobody wants to hear from me and I've got nothing to contribute. We can easily allow ourselves to be silenced by the kind of intimidation which exists in the world around us. And yet we've got long memories of the goodness of God and the power of God. And the psalmist says, I know your mighty acts. I have seen over many, many decades your marvelous deeds. Therefore, I will will tell these things. I will praise you. I will declare what you can do and what you're like to the next generation. Now notice there's a great difference, a subtle difference, but we must underline it, between just talking about the old days or my part in the old days and talking about God himself and God's mighty acts. Verse 16, I will come and proclaim your mighty acts, O sovereign Lord. Verse 17, To this day I declare your marvellous deeds. That could include being a Sunday school teacher. We've heard today of one of God's extraordinary deeds in the story of Jadrach and Meshach and Abednego from from the book of Daniel. Those that have known God over many years have a God-ordained responsibility to teach, to pass on what they know, to point to the Scriptures, to bring these things home to the younger generation. No one else can do it with their perspective. And so the second principle, which the psalmist draws out for us, is this, I'm going to teach. I'm going to declare what God has done. Now we're going to read another psalm, and I'm going to ask Sylvie to come up and and read from Psalm 90. I hope the mic is at the right height. Can
1: you turn, if you have a Bible, to Psalm 90? Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations, before the mountains were born
0: or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men, for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by, or like a watch
1: in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. Verse 12.
0: Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Thank you. Thank you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. This is the only psalm, Psalm 90, that is uh, openly said to have been written by Moses. No others. And Moses must have written this when he was at least well into his 80s. Possibly into his 90s. Writing as a, an old man. Ronald Reagan was, um, only a couple of weeks ago, addressing um, the debating society in Oxford. And um, you know how Reagan had a reputation when he was president for never being quite sure where he was, which country he was in, or who he was addressing. So he he began his speech at the Oxford uh, Students' Union by saying, I'm very glad to be here in in Oxford. At my age, I'm glad to be anywhere. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Moses, in this psalm, speaks about the way in which life passes remarkably quickly and includes an enormous range of experience. And as Sylvie read, read it to us, did you notice the beginning, the first two verses? God is our real home. And the older you become, the more that is to be the scent that you have. As you've lived in various homes and in various places and among various communities, God is our real home, verse 1. And then secondly, teach us to number our days aright. Don't count the years. This is the biblical perspective. Don't worry about annus mirabilis or annus horribilis. Count our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Each day is a gift that is to be lived, uh, lived out wholeheartedly for the Lord. I read recently the story of an older couple who had attended a, a Christian conference. They were both retired, and their children had grown up and left home, gone, gone. And uh, throughout their life, these two had never really had a clear, strong Christian witness. But they went away to this conference, because now they were free to do so, and the conference theme was looking unto Jesus. In other words, uh, really following the Lord wholeheartedly, not half-heartedly. And that spoke to them. And they both of them, in their um, 60s, decided, as I think many of us have to do, to really recommit themselves, recommit ourselves to the Lord. And so at the end, they, they made together that act of, of recommitment for their um, closing years of life, that they wanted to be useful. They wanted to serve God with a whole heart. When they were driving home, a, a car coming down the other side of, of the dual carriageway swerved and came across the central reservation and right into their path. And uh, the driver, um, one of the pair of them as they're going home, hit the brakes and skidded and slid off the road and crashed down an embankment into a, a ravine that was half full of water. And the pair of them managed to climb out of the windows of their car, surrounded by water that was flowing by, onto the roof of the car, both utterly astonished at being unharmed. And amazingly, they stood on the roof of this car and um, hung on to each other and embraced and then started to sing that little song, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. And they sang it all the way through, holding on to each other on the roof of their own car and then their voices sort of trailed off at the end of the song, and they, they looked up at, at a bridge over this ravine, and they saw a great crowd standing, just looking down at them. And a sort of policeman who'd come by and so on, staring at them in, in, in silent disbelief at these two. And the elderly man saw his opportunity, and he looked up and he said, You might have wondered why we have called this meeting here today. <laughs> And then standing on the roof of his car, he he addressed this crowd for a little while on these words, looking unto Jesus, that had come to mean so much for them. They grabbed the opportunity that they had to speak clearly, boldly, of what they had recently been learning of Christ. So that's the third lesson. As we move into old age, the Scriptures say, each day is something that is to be counted. Don't let them just pass by one after another, you know, like standing at a traffic lights in a rush hour and the cars just roll by. Each day, Lord, I want to seize this and live it for you. Now I'm going to read, um, I'm including myself among the readers, um, my teenagers know why, from 2 Timothy, just a few verses from the last chapter of Paul's second letter. 2 Timothy 4, verse 6. I am already being poured out like a drink offering, says Paul, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best, he says to Timothy, to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he is useful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchment. To read that last chapter is to enter into the condition and the thinking of an aging Christian. There's the Apostle Paul, near the end of his life, perhaps within a month or so, still battling, but growing weary, and the winter is coming on. And the fourth principle this morning, we see it in Paul, he is looking forward eagerly to the appearing of the Lord. He will actually see him. He looks forward to that day when the Lord will personally award that crown for faithful service, the race is almost over, but in spirit, he is still running. I'm looking forward to it. And then finally, the final principle, the fifth, is he is continuing to cultivate younger Christian friends. He's cold, he's in his chilly, damp cell. His battered body is full of aches and pains. As I said, the winter's coming. He needs mental stimulus. He wants the scrolls, which would have been the Scriptures. He wants his parchments, which would have been his own writings. Maybe a diary. Maybe his own jottings about the Scriptures, whatever. Some notebook. But in his loneliness, at the end of his life, he's still reaching out for his friend Timothy and for Timothy's friend Mark. He wants to continue to to influence them. Life is a whole mixture of disappointments and other experiences and triumphs. He looks back on on Demas having quit him and backslidden and gone off to Thessalonica. He feels the pain of the separation some of his co-workers he's had to to send. and Right at the end he can remember these different ones that he's worked with and prayed with and taught. And he's perhaps never going to see them again. And yet he's still wanting to encourage and inspire the young. Come quickly, Timothy, while there is time. And bring that young man, John Mark, with you. Mark is someone who years before had set off on one of Paul's journeys as a young, uh, apparently enthusiastic helper. And he quit after eight verses. You know, they arrived in southern Turkey... It was a flea pit of a place, well known for its mosquito infestation and its bandits and its robbers. And dear old John Mark, in this uh, first missionary journey of the great apostle Paul, lasted eight verses and ran home. Paul woke up one morning and there was a little puff of dust going down the hill, back down to the port, carrying a suitcase and on his way home to Mum in Jerusalem. And then when it came to the second of his great tours, and uh, Barnabas had suggested taking Mark with them again. Paul wouldn't have it. He's a quitter. I'm not having characters like that on my second missionary journey. I want someone who'll last longer than, I mean, at least get through half a chapter. And that actually split Paul and Barnabas for a while. And Barnabas took Mark, and Saul went off with, with one of his other younger friends, that called Silas. But now here in his old age, He's wanting Mark brought back into the fellowship. He's seeing that the relationships are, are to be restored. These broken things mended. And he wants to spend time with Timothy and time with Mark, investing in them for the future. That's the final lesson that we learn from the scriptures concerning our own attitudes and our own priorities. Trust the Lord. Teach the next generation. Take a responsibility for that. Thirdly, live each day wholly for the Lord and not for yourself. We all know that old age is defined as when actions creak louder than words. And yet, God wants us, even with declining physical health, to be still as wholehearted for Him as enthusiastic for him, looking forward to his appearing, and yet while each day lasts, seeking to influence the next, the upcoming, the future leaders, the generation that is, is on its way through. And we see that in Paul. Time's gone. Let's just pause a moment and ponder these things. Paul looking forward to the appearing of the Lord. Moses saying, count your days. The psalmist in Psalm 71 saying, I will declare to the younger generation the mighty deeds of God. You've been my home throughout the years.
1: I want to continue running right through to the tape without slacking.
0: And then go gladly to be with the Lord. There may be some here who don't even feel that they know the Lord well enough to be confident and excited, should their own end come, that they would go to meet him. Please come and talk that over with David, who's led the service with myself, if that's something where your worry or uncertainty focuses, because it's possible to run, to walk, run all through life, knowing the Lord, and then go gladly to be with him. When the race is over, when we finally come to the end of our allotted days, get certain that you know who you're traveling with and where you're going. Let us pray now together as our service this morning comes to an end. Lord Jesus, you came not for the religious, not for the righteous, not for the people who set themselves up, not merely for the young. You came for ordinary men and women that while there is time they might seek you and find you. Find that you come right into the midst of their experience, even though it be like that of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Frightening, full of new things that look terrible. Lord, you are a God who draws near, a God who can be trusted, a God who is our real home. And if there is time, as each of us comes through to the closing lapse of the race the end of life Lord help us to have that ministry of encouragement of challenge of wisdom for those around us who are younger to have a heart that is daily full of your praises thank you Lord that you've said that you will go with us and be with us right through life to the very end Without fail, you will never leave us, never forsake us. You've promised to sustain us and rescue us. You've said, I am the Lord, I am He. And we just pause and ponder before you that you should be so gracious to us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for joining us today. The Nigel Lee Archive is brought to you as a podcast by Living Leadership. For more information on the Nigel Lee Archive or Living Leadership's other ministries, please visit www.livingleadership.org. God bless.